Uh, before we get started, uh, one thing I forgot to mention is uh, Dang, Dang Duke's son is here. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to meet him. Some of you know that story. We didn't want to completely like overwhelm him and swarm him, uh, but, but Dang brought his son today. So if you get a chance to say hello to him, Precious, uh, he's about four years old, and uh, we're really excited. Just his family's assimilating right now, um, and it's been just kind of fun to, uh, to be a part of that story. I want to open up with these words that are probably familiar to you. I, Jared, take you, Marcy, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. Something about wedding vows. There's something sacred about them. There's something nostalgic about them. As we hear them, uh, they take us to a place. Uh, they take us to a time of celebration. They take us to a place of covenant. Uh, my wife and I get the opportunity to do a lot of marriage counseling uh, with, with people. Got to do a lot of weddings, kind of being a part of a young church. There's a lot of weddings, which is always fun. Um, it's always exciting for me when uh, the couple chooses kind of the traditional vows. I'm, I'm fine if you choose vows, whatever they are. It's, uh, it's something that, a covenant you're making in front of people. But there's something about these traditional words uh, that when we hear them, they, they bring back a commitment that we've made kind of inside of our heart. And there's something about it that is uh, nostalgic uh, to hear them, something, something sacred. Uh, we're starting a, a four-week series on relationships that matter most. And I want to give a few disclaimers uh, about this series. One is that uh, it's a topical series. And uh, usually we'll, we'll do a series where we jump in the book of the Bible. We just did Ephesians last month. We're doing Colossians next month. Uh, but this series is topical. And what I found is uh, we, we're going to talk about marriage and parenting and, and relationships and family dynamics. Um, I, I've realized that I, I probably talk about money more than I talk about marriage. And so I felt like marriage is something that I wanted to, to, to talk about and hit on uh, in this series. And uh, second disclaimer is, for some of you, that's exciting. For some of you, you're like, time to like tune out, right? Um, I feel like there's four kinds of people probably in this room. And, uh, and each person is in a different journey, and each person is important. The first uh, type of person is someone who's married. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're married. And, uh, and so this is like, oh, right in my wheelhouse, stuff I'm going through right now. Uh, the second type of person is someone who maybe used to be married. And, uh, and we, have, we have those here, and maybe you've, you've had a spouse that has, has, uh, uh, has passed, or maybe you have, um, have gone through a, a marriage that didn't make it. And, uh, and we acknowledge uh, marriages are complex, they're, they're painful, um, and they're hard. Um, and if you want to know kind of where we stand on marriage, we want to fight for marriage as a church, and we want to walk alongside uh, those who've uh, gone through uh, whatever, whatever it is that the marriage hasn't worked out. And so if you used to be married and, and you're here, uh, you're welcome here. Um, and uh, and we, we understand that marriage is complex. Um, and the third, third is someone who hopes to get married. Uh, and this is like my, my 10-year-old daughter, Sophia. It's, it's terrifying. She <laughs> talks about it all the time. Uh, but maybe you, you hope to get married someday, and, uh, and you're not married yet, but this might be a series... Uh, uh, that is good for you as, you as you kind of think about your future. Then the third, the fourth category is someone who uh, doesn't think they'll ever get married. Um, and, uh, and they're single. And what tends to happen, I think, in churches and especially in these kind of uh, series is uh, when, you're, when you're single, you feel like, maybe I don't fit here, maybe I don't connect here. Um, 
You go to like, you know, family reunions and you have to answer all the awkward questions from your aunt about like why you're single. And, uh, and what I would say is that if you are single, we're so glad that you're here. Um, and uh, we, we, we think that you are a gift to the community. Um, your circumstances in life right now, um, we don't think that you're, you're missing something or lacking something. So we're glad that you're here. You're a part of this community. But you're also in community with people who are married. And so our hope is that you would take something from this and, and understand um, even how, like, your interaction with, with married couples. We think that, that everyone is in a different season. Um, and, and my hope is that you would get something from this. And, uh, and my hope is that you would know that you're, you're welcome here and we're glad that you're here. Uh, third disclaimer. Uh, this comes from 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Uh, let me read this. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who has been born of God, or everyone who loves God, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. And this is how love, God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if you love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So we want to talk about the relationships that matter most is because we're called to be a people of love. And the way that we love others comes from God loving us first. We love because he first loved us. And the way that we interact with each other, whether it's our spouse, whether it's our children, whether it's our family, whether it's our friends, our coworkers, matters. The way that we love each other puts on display. Other people come to know what God is like through our relationships with each other. And so even as we go through this series from this day forward, and we, we make decisions on how we interact with others, it's all grounded in this idea that we love each other. And that means a lot, and there's a lot to unpack there. But we are a people of love because God loved us first. So let me hop in and, uh, and start off with uh, this. The year was 1998. <laughs> some of you know this story, some of you don't. Um, this is me finishing my freshman year of high school. It's a goofy picture. I'm just really glad that my hair's not bleached in this because I've got some high school pictures when you might have thought I was in Smash Mouth, the band. It's, uh, this is my wife, Marcy, uh, yesterday. Um, no, this is, she had just finished high school. Looks exactly the same. Uh, I was a freshman and she was a senior. Yes. It was a small Christian school. And I was uh, kind of a big fish in a very, very small pond. Um, and at our yearbook signing party, uh, she wrote to me. Now, in a small school like this with a catch like her, I was head over heels uh, for Marcy all year long and thought she was a senior, so you know that'll never happen. Get to the yearbook party at the end of the year, and she writes this message to me. I think just to me. I'm not sure if she wrote it to other people. <laughs> But she wrote it in my yearbook. She said, to the cutest freshman boy in the world, good luck in all you do these next four, cross it out, three years. Keep your eyes on him. You are such a stud. And I want a phone call from you when you graduate. So that happened. And here's what I wrote back. 
not knowing what she wrote, hey Marcy, I hope you had a great senior year. I'm glad I got to meet you. Good luck in college. <laughs> I was super nervous. Uh, but what this did was confirmed uh, some of the dreams I've been having, you know. Um, that I, I was completely in love with this girl. And so that summer, went to Lake Powell. My family would always go to Lake Powell for vacationing. And uh, Lake Powell's awesome, so like one of my favorite places on earth. I was fishing with my friend Tim and wasn't catching anything because I am the worst fisherman in the world. And so I was carving uh, on this rock. You've been to Lake Powell, it's all these sandstone cliffs. And I was carving my name and I carved Marcy's name next to it. Um, and my buddy, you know, we're like 15-year-old dudes. He's just like making fun of me and laughing. And finally, I'm like, hey, I'm going to marry this girl someday and bring her back here and show her this. And he's like, you were ridiculous. And went back and told my family. So then my family had this joke, this ongoing joke all through high school that I was like head over heels with Marcy, like she was this girl of my dreams. And uh, so they made fun of me all the time, teased me about it all the time. I remember I played on the basketball team and Marcy went to college at Baylor and comes home with a boy a couple times. And it, it's like a Zac, I mean, it was like a Zac Efron movie. I mean, I, I remember being on the bench and like seeing them walk in and like my heart stopping and like being so, and everyone's like, dude, what was going on? Like get a hold of yourself. And like nobody knew this like special connection I had with her. So uh, kind of, she goes off to college, I graduate and then I go off to college. And after my freshman year of college, I've still been in, like, you know, secretly in love with her, not so much a secret, all this time. Uh, their family kind of started going to our church, and I find out that we are going to vacation in Oceanside, California, and her family's going. We had mutual friends, and we're going to be on the beach the same week together. So I'm thinking, like, this is, you know, the stars have aligned. This is, <laughs> and so excited, so fired up about it. Um, but also like terrified because you know I'm like so much younger than she is, and so we end up going and hanging out on the beach, hitting it off. That summer we start dating, um, have a couple things like happen, um, date long distance, and then we eventually kind of like you know trying to figure out I'm I'm going back to college. She's like out of college working, and decide like I want to marry her. So uh, we get engaged for like a year, and then we end up getting married. And for me, it was like this, this dream girl, like I, this, who I wanted to marry from a very early age, um, pursued it, prayed about it, hoped for it, and then finally got to marry Marcy. It was like the, you know, I, I was just like, I, I've never felt just so like blessed and lucky and yada, yada. It was really sad, really sappy story. Um, we get married and we moved to Indiana so I can finish college. And all of my hopes and all of my dreams and all of the romance around it, we had this huge wedding with like 500 people. It was just crazy celebration. Uh, within six months, we find ourselves in counseling. We find ourselves asking questions like, what in the world did we just get into? This is insane. This is hard. This is, and this is the rest of our life? Like, are you kidding me? And in my mind, it was like, I married my dream girl. It's going to be happily ever after. Like, this is all going to be amazing. And it was like we had just, like, someone just slammed the door in our face. All of a sudden, the reality of being married and the, and the relational, all the things that come with it uh, was a reality check. And it was extremely difficult. We ended up going to counseling. And the kind of counseling that we had, it was like, 
not just like, you know, what are your strengths and weaknesses? This was like, you get done and you go home and you curl up in a ball. And <laughs> it was intense and it was hard. It was really hard. And it became in, in immensely more difficult than I thought it would, would ever be. Um, and it was a surprise. And I remember thinking, how could this happen? I've married the girl of my dreams. Uh, this should be so much easier uh, than this. Why is this so difficult? Um, and I think what happened today, or what I want to share today, is there's a couple cultural myths that I bought into going into that marriage that I think we both bought into. And then there was one thing that I think really kind of held it all together that I want to share. Um, and so loving each other the way that God loves is a real thing. It's the best thing in the world, and it's the hardest thing in the world. The first myth I think that we bought into was this. We bought into the myth that if I can marry the right person, everything will be right in my life. We have this ideal that there's this one person, it's the right person, we're, you know, that's our, our soulmate, we're supposed to be with them. And I think it's a myth. Now everyone's like, you're wrong. I married my right person. And I'm like, that's okay. You can disagree with your pastor today. You're just more romantic than me. Um, but here's why I think it's a myth, that we could just find that one person, that one right person, everything else will be right. We spend our whole life searching for that one person. And what we find is that every single person, no matter who you are, has brokenness. We have this Romans 3.23 that talks about this idea of, of, of who we are as humans. Every single one of us broken. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us misses the mark, which leaves people disappointed. My dad has this... Uh, marriage equations that he talks to me about. He says, marriage is a simple math. It's one sinner plus one sinner equals two sinners. <laughs> Good luck. And then you add in all these little sinlings and <laughs> becomes a mess, becomes a mess. And, and what we find is when we get married, we start to, uh, all the things that we can hide from everyone else starts to surface. They see the deepest, darkest things about us. And we're stuck with, you still love me, even knowing all of these things. And the reason I would say that I don't think it's about finding the right person, the reason I think that's a myth is because I have found it's about becoming the right person. It's not about finding that right person. It's about becoming the right person. And when you have two people that are committed to becoming the right person, you've found the right person. We spend all of this time, Hollywood points us to like fate and these things that pull us together. And I get that. Marcy was that for me. But it wasn't until I started to realize that I've got to work on myself to become the right person for her that our marriage started to get better. And it was the same with her to say, I need to become the right person for him. Everything in our culture says, find it, find it, fate, got to find it, find it, find it. Very little says we need to become the right person. Marriage is, a, is a, a relationship of sacrifices, and we have to become that for each other. The second myth that I think that we're buying into is this. If I can just get married, it's going to solve all of my problems. If I just can get married, it'll solve all of my problems. My aunt at the reunion will leave me alone. Uh, and I carry all of this stuff, loneliness. Um, I carry depression, I carry insecurity and anxiety, and if I just had someone else that I can have helped me with this, then life will just get better. And here, here's what I've found, is that marriage doesn't necessarily fix your problems. 
And if you're a lonely person before you get married, you go into a marriage. I know a lot of people who are married and they're very lonely. If you are a broken person, you go into a marriage, you're going to be a broken person. If you're a person that struggles with lust and you go into a marriage, you continue to struggle with lust. The thing that I found is growing up, um, I remember as a kid, I'd wake up on Christmas morning and it felt like Christmas morning. It was magical. It felt like there's something different about this day. And then at some point, by the time I was like 11, 12 years old, I woke up on Christmas and I was like, it just feels like any other day. Like, what happened? Like, well, I've become an adult and I was all caught up in like the magic of Christmas and, and now it's just like another day. And I remember when I got married, I thought something magical would happen. I would just become like a better person overnight and it'd be perfect for Marcy. And it was like, you complete me, so we're completed now. And, and then I woke up after we got married and it was all the things that I was dealing with the day before I got married, I dealt with the day after I got married. It didn't fix anything. And I think we have this myth that, oh, if I could just have that thing, everything will be taken care of. And I've found that it's not the case. My spouse doesn't fix me. I don't fix her. Um, This is something that Christ does in our life. This third myth that I want to get to is, uh, the third myth is that the past is the past. The past is the past. Now, when it comes to our relationship with the other, the past should be the past. We need to, 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 marriage is, uh, finding someone who understands all the things about me, all the things that made me who I am, all the things that I experienced, and still choosing to love me. We offer that to the other person. But when it comes to our own past, what I've found is we have baggage. We have these things that shape us. We have these things that wound us, that hurt us. And those things have to be kept in check. I can act like, oh, it was a long time ago, like, you know, those things that I just, I've moved on from. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after maybe like 12 years, this tripwire sets it off. I'm like, wow, I thought it was past that. Or wow, that really affected my spouse in a way that I didn't think would. And we think, oh, the past is the past. It's, it's gone. And it goes unchecked. And one of the things I was thinking is it's almost like you're traveling on an airplane and like we travel with baggage and we all have different baggage. Some of our baggage is small. We can carry it on the airplane. Other bags are, are heavy, and we have to check it. We can't take it with us. Um, sometimes we're flying southwest, and the baggage is free, and other times we have to pay for it, right? <laughs> and I think it's the same thing with our, our past. We have these different experiences that, uh, that we, we pay for in different ways. And it doesn't mean that that's not okay. It means that we just we deal with it. We check it, and we understand. We come to an awareness of how our, our past affects the marriage and how it affects me and how I operate with my behavior. Uh, I have a mentor that used to say this to me. Uh, He would say, don't make decisions in the present that when they become your past will harm you in the future. Don't make decisions in the present that when they become your past will harm you in the future. Because we think it's just gone and we're fine. And what we find is that we hold this baggage. And again, I'm talking about our own baggage. I think that when it comes to uh, our spouse, uh, we, we handle their, their baggage differently. We're called to, to love and to deal. But then we have this understanding that my baggage can affect them. We just think sometimes the past is the past. And we're unable to kind of sort out what's happened. And then the fourth myth is this idea of happily ever after. 
And this is a myth I think that Marcy and I believed. Uh, Marcy and I went to this marriage thinking we're going to live happily ever after. Fate had brought us together. And here's kind of a message of, uh, you know, of Hollywood. This is a message of Disney movies. Like you have this, you know, this prince and princess, and they're going to get married, and, but he's got to slay the dragon first. And if he can go and he can you know, complete this quest, slay the dragon, then he gets to marry the princess, and they live happily ever after. If you've been married before, you know this. You get married, and then the dragons come, right? You get married, and then you have to figure out how to slay the dragons. And we think sometimes we, we don't have our expectations managed going into the marriage because we think, you know, we'll just live happily ever after. For Marcy and I, we got married, and then it was like the fight started. There was so much resistance in this world that we faced. There were so many things that, that were just like dragons that came in, and we had to figure out how to fight them. The myth is that we just slay the dragon, get married, and live happily ever after. And that's just not reality. Marriage is hard work. It's painful. It's challenging. It's broken. It's full of uh, terrifying failures and yet exhausting uh, victories. And it's good. Those are some of the myths that we bought into. Here's the one thing that I think really saved our marriage the thing that has held us together in the midst of it. And uh, there's this passage at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, that talks about wise and foolish builders. And these are the words of Jesus. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Did not fall. Because it's had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Now Jesus is talking about our lives. He's not talking about relationships. He's talking about our lives. But one of the things that we found is the storms of life rock us. Things that are unforeseen, things that surprise us, things that are outside of our control. And for Marcy and I, in the midst of kind of the, the difficult times, the thing that we were able to cling to and know that this binds us together was this idea that Christ was the foundation and he was the rock. And what this means is this. When it comes to finding the right person, the person that we need to find is Jesus we become the right person when we find Christ. We become the right person for our spouse when Jesus becomes the center of our life. When it comes to marriage fixing our problems, what happens is Jesus is the one that fixes them. We set these expectations on our wife, our husband, and they don't live up to it. Only Jesus doesn't fail us. When Jesus is that foundation, we know our spouse will fail us, but Jesus is the rock. He is the one that we find that completes us. He's the one that we find that becomes the foundation of our life. He's the one that deals with our past. With Christ, we have these things called forgiveness and redemption that allows us to move forward with the things that we've done that show off our brokenness. 
when we find Christ, we're able to deal with those things in ways that are radically forgiving and redeeming. When we find Christ, we're able to slay those dragons that come. We have a power that is from this other world, this eternal perspective on our life. Christ gives us life now. He gives us life that is eternal. And in our marriage, when we have that perspective, there's storms that come that we can handle because we know there's something else at work here, that the story's not over yet. Christ has been this foundation that has, for Marcy and I, saved us from the storms. There's another passage that comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's talking about worry. We worry about this, we worry about our clothes, we worry about our provision, we worry about food, we worry, 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 worry. And then finally, Jesus says this. This is in Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All the things that we worry about in this world. Seek first the kingdom. Because here's what happens. When we seek the kingdom, the ways of Jesus, what Jesus is up to in this world, our whole life becomes about what God is up to in his kingdom, not our own. And all of the ways that we're, we're selfishly holding on to agendas, we start to release and let go for God's ways. When we seek first the kingdom, how often do we think about that in the relationships that matter most? Our marriage, our children. We seek first the kingdom, everything else is added to us as well. So often we think if we figure everything else out, then we're available to what God wants. This passage is telling us God first. So here's three words Three words today for your marriage. Three words are keep Christ central. That sounds very simple, and yet understanding how this can help with these myths that we buy into. We keep Christ central in our relationship. This foundation, this solid rock, this unshakable rock is Christ. Is Christ. In Christ, we have love that's unconditional. We have radical forgiveness. We have grace and peace. We have healthy rhythms that are established. Today, the band's going to come back up, and we're going to close our time with communion. Communion for us is something that, that represents the story of Jesus, keeping Jesus central. It's the sacred rhythm that we do once a week that centers our life on this gospel story. That God loved us first, which allows us to love others. That God takes all the things of our past and he redeems them. That God meets us where we're at. We take a piece of bread that represents something that's been broken. The body of Christ that was broken open on the cross. And we take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was poured out. And we believe that this blood cleanses us of our iniquities. The breaking open of this body, the pouring out of this blood, brings us life that's life eternal. We come today in remembrance. We take and we proclaim. We remember and we proclaim what God has done. And today, I don't know where you're at in this journey, those four categories. Maybe you're married and things are going great. You should write a book. <laughs> Maybe you're married and it's a struggle and it's hard. We get it. And we are here for you in the midst of that. We'd love to walk alongside you. Maybe you've gone through a marriage that hasn't made it, or your marriage isn't going to make it. Um, 
and this is all fresh and raw. We're so sorry. Life is so complex, painful, challenging. But today, you're invited to the table. And our hope is that Christ would meet you. If you'd like, just pray with someone uh, today. We have a couple of people that will be behind that curtain back there that will pray with you. We'd love to just meet you with where you're at. Maybe you want to get married today and you have all these hopes and these desires and it hasn't happened yet. Um, my hope is today that you would know uh, whether you're single and never want to get married or you're single that, that uh, God is enough, that he is here, that we see you as part of this community. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, we want to walk with you as well. I don't know where you're at in your journey, um, but may the love of God be the center of our relationships with each other. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word, the reminder of your love. Lord, we thank you for relationships. They're so hard. We're broken. We disappoint each other all the time. We need grace, Lord. We need forgiveness. And you are here for that. Lord, we thank you for this picture of marriage, how it's this picture of how you loved us, loved the church, this unconditional love. Lord, we ask your blessing on those who are married today. That they would experience extra peace, extra grace. They'd have patience, fruit of your spirit. Lord, we ask for your presence in the midst of circumstances that are so challenging that there's not easy answers. Clarity for things that are just super complex right now, Lord. Hope for things that are hopeless. Lord, I pray for uh, feelings of inadequacy and security that we'd find you that you would meet us here with grace and love and blessing Lord we give you this time as we worship as we pray as we reflect we open our hearts to you